inspiring, educating, and at times, entertaining. This is the Retirement Years Podcast with your hosts, Mary Ellen French and Dave Wing. Hi there, I'm Mary Ellen French. And I'm Dave Wing. Mary Ellen, before we get going, question for you, personal question. Yes. How was your week? Good. Did you get your fall cleanup tasks done, everything outside, rake the leaves and do all no, that? No, no. None of that. <laughs> then maybe this is not the logical next question. Did you start your holiday decorating, get that well underway? No. Okay, so you're a bit behind. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I only ask because you know I want to tell you what I did. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I did this weekend? What did you do, Dave? This past weekend, I went to a silent auction. Really? Yeah. You know what I bought? What? A mime and a dog whistle. <laughs> oh. That's just silly. I had to know that was the team. That's just silly, yeah. <laughs> um, now, in case you're just joining us for the first time, and hopefully you're still with us, uh, we're on the third of five episodes about how to plan a meaningful retirement. We're using a white paper as our guide for this series of episodes, uh, the paper entitled Five Ways to Think About Retirement, and Money Isn't One of Them. It was written by RTO-ERO, an organization of current and retired individuals who worked in the field of education. Now, today, we'll be discussing the importance of being emotionally prepared for your retirement. The paper suggests seven questions you should ask yourself before retiring, the questions fall outside of the ones you need to ask when you're uh, doing your financial planning. But it's also, I think you would agree, Mary Ellen, they're good questions to ask, even if you are retired and you need to refocus. Yes. And we've used the word re recalibrate. Yep. Uh, retirement is a major, major decision. And there are a lot of emotions that come up as you approach that final day of work. And I, I think you never quite know how that might go when, when you get there. Um, I may have mentioned this before but I kind of thrive on planning ahead a little bit. <laughs> and bit. I try to anticipate any issues that might occur or, or try to come up with ways that might make something more enjoyable that I'm planning on doing. Mm -hmm. um, kind of the opposite of spontaneous, mm -hmm. but I know now that that's why I enjoyed the routine of work. Right. Work set a certain routine for me uh, on a daily basis. And I felt I was prepared and quite ready to leave work. Uh, emotionally, I was pretty drained due to the stress of work. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was, I was doing a very long commute every day as well. Yeah. So ready to go in my, in my head. And as I mentioned in the previous episode, I had met with a financial planner, so I felt there, I got it. Uh, I was concerned, though, that within a couple of years of retirement, both of our children would be in post-secondary. Right. And, of course, that's very expensive. So then I got sort of doubting and, and questioning my timing of when I was retiring and should I stay on longer. I'm glad in, in hindsight I didn't. Um, in the end, I was very relieved to be leaving work. But I'll tell you this, and, and if anyone's listening that I worked with, uh, I would fully admit I miss the people yes. that I worked with 100%. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and we were in a highly stressful job. And so therefore, we shared a lot of ups and downs, yeah. but a tons of tons of laughter too, oh, because yes. there's always the gallows humor or somebody's <laughs> got to tell some sort of joke to get things uh, over the hump. Um, but leaving the job really did feel like a loss. Yeah. I would admit that. And I know Morris Tate, who mm -hmm. uh, we had an interview from him early in the season, uh, mentioned that, that that uh, does feel like a loss. And I know, Mary Ellen, you have a, a story to share as well about your 
emotional journey into retirement. Yeah, yeah. The the time leading up to to my decision to retire was really uh, tumultuous, right? I was dealing with the recent loss of my dad, uh, dealing with the health issues of my of my son, and uh, all I knew was that emotionally I was burnt out and something needed to give. Uh, really, my husband and I, like, we talked and talked and talked and I agonized over this decision of whether or not to retire mm. and ultimately chose to retire early uh, by about six months and then felt mostly relief. Like, once that decision was made, I was relieved that it was made and I felt like, okay, so this is what's going to happen and now we can move forward. And so some of that leads into a few of the questions that the white paper poses. Uh, first, do you understand the changes that retirement will bring to your schedule and your psyche? Mm -hmm. And you alluded to that. And I can honestly say for me, I didn't really, I didn't really think about that at all in advance. I, I, I really didn't. Uh, question number two, have your peers already retired or are they retiring at about the same time? So for me, no, most of my peers had not retired, I would say. Yeah, most of the ones I worked with were staying. Yeah. Um, now, subsequently, a good friend has, and, yes. and we've been able to be in touch more. But yeah. yeah, most were staying, so you're the one leaving. Yeah. You're, you're the one cutting ties, and it, it is cutting ties. It is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, third question. Have you established an emotional support system of friends and family? So for me, uh, yes, because I, that emotional support system was already in place because of all the other stuff that I was going through at the time. Uh, so I felt, I felt really well supported emotionally for whatever was going to come next. What about you? Well, and I think you, like you do have the support, obviously, of friends and family. But mm -hmm. because um, I was the one retiring, mm -hmm. uh, my spouse still works, kids were busy with school, I, I did feel I was sort of on the outside a bit. Uh, no, I was quite relaxed, especially those first few months when you don't, you, you feel like you just want to relax. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think there's a, an isolation piece even within your support network. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to be a little proactive to make sure you're reaching out to them. Don't assume that the, they're going to be always checking in on you because others are busy. It's true. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, it's true. So we would love to hear from listeners who are retirees. Did you consciously think about your emotional preparedness before retiring? Uh, if you would like to answer that question, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at the retirement years podcast at gmail.com or feel free to post a comment on our Facebook or Instagram pages at the retirement years podcast or on Twitter at retirement years. And Mary Ellen, I'm going to kind of take a little veer to the right a bit here. And in the job that I did, I gave uh, advice to professionals on uh, how to either avoid an issue or, or get past one or, or get out of one, mm -hmm. <laughs> whatever it happened to be. So I was sort of known as like I could, I could get gloom and doom out of anything. Mm -hmm. uh, I could awfulize any situation, no matter how fun you thought it was going to be. So, but in retirement, I think one thing you have to consider um, and that is that at some point, either temporary or a longer term, that you or your friend, neighbor, spouse, whoever it happens to be that you're close to, there may be a caregiver situation, yes. a caregiver relationship. Yep. And that's tough because that's, yeah. a, that's a lot of responsibility to take on. Mm -hmm. And so in preparation for this, 
Uh, now, I, d- I don't know if people would want to go ahead and, and look into this. I think it's not a bad thing to know ahead. Mm-hmm. And I found two, quite easily actually, two really good resources. The first one is based in California, and it's called the Family Caregiver Alliance. And they provide services to family caregivers of adults with physical and cognitive impairments, such as Parkinson's, stroke, Alzheimer's, dementia, etc. They're based in San Francisco, but the resources are available to anyone to download, print, and you can even do it old style and request a hard copy mm-hmm. and pay a very nominal fee. Uh, $3 US was most uh, often is what the charge that came up for that if you wanted it mailed to you. Um, they're funded in large part by the California Department of Health Care Services. They have other agencies they work with, and they also take uh, individual uh, donations as well. And everything, the information, the services, free of charge to caregivers. Yeah, and you know, when you shared that with me um, before we recorded this, I, I looked into it, and did you know that they've got um, connections, as you said, with other organizations in other states? And so I just randomly picked a couple of different states and put that in, and and sure enough, all these resources popped up for that particular state, which I thought was amazing. Like, really, this one website is a repository of all the caregiver connections that you would ever need to find, no matter what state you're living in. I thought that was incredible. Yeah, and that's one of the things they boast, that there's sort of that one stop to to find the information that yes. you need. Uh, you don't have to be from California. No. If you are, there are local things that you could attend in person. But uh, they also have uh, online support groups mm-hmm. uh, focused on specific needs and mm-hmm. topics, uh, classes, webinars, workshops, and again, all of it. Uh, at no charge. Mm-hmm. So whether you're uh, where we are in Ontario, in Canada, or uh, anywhere really, you can check out their website at caregiver.org. And we'll make sure that we put that link on our website and that'll be also be available on our socials. Yeah. Now closer to home for uh, Mary Ellen and I, there's the Ontario Caregiver Organization. Now it's new. It uh, was established in the spring of 2018, so new-ish. Uh, was likely a a godsend for some people during uh, the isolation of COVID Mm -hmm. and having to care for someone as well. Uh, They're also nonprofit and they're funded here in Ontario by the Ministry of Health. And they support 4 million caregivers, Mm -hmm. just ordinary people who are reaching out for help in their support of a family member, partner, friend, neighbor, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever that happens to be. Um, They have peer support, 24-hour hotline, webinars, individual and group counseling, e-learning and educational resources. And as everything I looked at, there it was no fee. You could just yeah. register or, or download. Um, and then a shout-out to fellow podcasters. They also have a podcast co- uh, called Time to Talk mm-hmm. Podcast. Yeah. Um, it's hosted by uh, Michelle uh, Jobin, along with... Uh, she has subject matter experts and caregivers come on and, yeah. and, and she interviews those as well. And they talk about uh, mental health, wellness, and becoming a successful caregiver. And they've their second season mm-hmm. is now available and they are on Spotify. And mm-hmm. again, we'll give the information of where you can find them. Well worth a listen uh, as well. I shared that one with my mom. Um, so my mom looked after my dad for quite some time. My dad had vascular dementia and mom was the primary caregiver. And then my siblings and I did the best that we could uh, on weekends. And uh, shout out to my brother who lives next door. 
because really he and his wife took on the the bulk of, of supporting mom and supporting dad. Anyway, one of the things that really kept mom going <clears throat> through those years was uh, being part of a caregivers group. And I can't remember off the top of my head if that was through the Alzheimer's Association or if it was um, through um, community health partnership, something like that. At any rate, it was a monthly caregivers group and um, uh, you know they provided someone to look after dad so that she could go and attend the, the meetings. Um, they had uh, lunches once a month. And uh, that was fantastic for my mom. My mom is uh, not necessarily someone who would see going to uh, counseling or therapy as an option um, for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, so this group gave her the support and the safe space in which to, one, talk about what she was experiencing, and two, hear from other people that they were experiencing something similar and so she didn't feel so alone, right, as, as uh, someone who is caring for her spouse. So, mm -hmm. so I am so happy that there is now this Ontario Caregivers organization uh, that exists in Ontario because, again, it's a one-stop shop and, and that didn't exist. My dad died in 2018, so that really didn't exist before, um, before he passed. So... I love that those supports are now out there for people. And again, of course, we'll put that on our on our website, those links. And I think, Mary Ellen, even once you have completed, not the right word, but once you have been a caregiver, mm -hmm. there would still be value here because some of those groups and topics would be about uh, now what? Because yeah. there's going to be some guilt in carrying on. And to be honest. So like, four, four years later, Dave, my mom still is part of this caregivers group and they still continue to support one another. And for many of them, um, the individual that they were supporting, I don't think it was always their spouse, but the individual they were supporting for some of them has passed. But for others, it, it hasn't. They continue to be caregivers. But I love that this little group has stayed together and uh, continue to support one another. Yeah, and I have a, a very good friend who's in a similar situation, and they still meet every week, yeah, or, or more often if they have to, yeah. and, and discuss things and support each other. Um, one of the questions you you went over some earlier uh, from the white paper mm -hmm. about questions you would ask yourself when planning your retirement, and one of them being, do you know what kind of routine suits you? Uh-huh. And that is an excellent question to ask because <laughs> I, I kind of... I let go of the routine because I was so tired of it Yeah. because it was very regimented what I, I needed to be, uh, have a routine so that I, I didn't drop any, any balls that were in the air. Yeah. But I found myself more and more going back to it and, and it, it suits me. Yeah. I, I like to know what day I've got this to do or that to do. And I'm not that rigid that I can't say, well, today there's a, a, a more fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. I'll do that the, another day. But I, I kind of like the routine, at least for now, mm -hmm. uh, because I'm kind of co-hosting, running the household now. So mm -hmm. there's responsibilities that I can do because I'm the one with the time to do them. Um, but what about for you? Is it like, have you discovered in retirement that what suits you better than not? Or Yeah, I mean, at first I was happy to uh, throw away the alarm clock and uh, not really live much of a routine because like you I, I really was happy to be done with that yeah. but I've discovered uh, three years in that I need routine whether I like it or not uh, routine of some sort not a rigid one but of some sort really helps me actually to be healthier 
uh, both mentally and physically. So uh, I am coming around to the idea of routine in retirement. So I had an opportunity uh, this week to interview uh, someone named Dean. Uh, You're going to hear from him in a minute. And he had some really interesting things to say, not only around routine, but I asked him uh, the first question that that the white paper poses and that we mentioned earlier on in the podcast. And here's what he had to say. My guest on the Retirement Years podcast today is Dean, who very recently retired from a 22-year career in the federal public service as a senior advisor in internal audit and risk management. Prior to that, Dean spent 11 years working in international education. I invited Dean to share his thoughts with our listeners on some of the questions posed in this section of the white paper. Thank you very much for joining us today. I am really excited to talk to you about some of the questions um, that the white paper that I shared with you have posed. So the first one I'm wondering if you could give us your thoughts on, did you give any thought to the changes that retirement would bring to both your schedule and your psyche before you decided to retire? That's a really interesting question, Mary Ellen. Um, I would say yes. Um, only because I think, fortunately, in my case, uh, working in the federal public service, there was the lockdowns that occurred countrywide, and we were sent home. And here I was working from home and far away from the geography of the people and the office where I work from. And I think that distance in itself gave me a different perspective as I was approaching my retirement. I knew I wanted to leave by the time I was 55 and definitely before 56, so I can at least claim I did 50 freedom 55. But, you know, I I think that distance, um, yes, it did a lot because the the everyday circumstance of being in an environment where you're constantly entrenched in your workplace um, and the way in which the federal public servants generally view retirement Right. And as I spoke to people who are leaving and, you know, sadly, three of my very best friends who left at 55 with a full pensionable career didn't make it past six months after they left three, all three of them died, you know, in unusual circumstances that could have never been foreseen. And that got me really thinking before, before I was going to go and leave, leave my career and, and, and it, t- it dawned on me as I was working from home and, and had that distance from the workplace that my whole life and everyone's life is centered around this idea of a nine to five Monday to Friday schedule. And it's, and it's entrenched into our DNA from the time we're very young, right? We go to school, everything revolves around that school schedule. We go to work, everything revolves around that work schedule. And therefore we plan our entire lives around that schedule. It's like it comes first before everything else, right? And at least it did for me, as much as I tried to live a balanced life. It's really unusual that Dean uh, felt that it was a bit of an advantage mm-hmm. uh, to have the distance that was created uh, due to um, COVID restrictions, mm-hmm. that he had one step away from the office yeah. and colleagues and then could maybe better emotionally prepare for that next step and see the advantages of not having to have that strict, mm-hmm. uh, the strict routine. But uh, boy, um, the early part of his, his story about losing oh, 
uh, three close friends in early in their retirement. Yeah. That, that would really, uh, it would be frightening, I think. It, like, yeah. And he, he's obviously a very introspective person, so mm-hmm. that would really hit hit him hard, I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it that's what serves to create some fear around retirement, feeling that you're going into the final leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you see that, it's hard not to think that. Mm-hmm. And then you get feeling the urgency of, I've got to do everything. I've got to <laughs> do everything at once and do yeah. it now and do it in the first uh, little while. Um, so, you know, when you, when you hear things like this, you might think you have to do that. But I, I think we've, um, stressed that it's important that your retirement is your size, not someone's else. And you do what, what suits you and, mm-hmm. and at your schedule. And perfect example, uh, was Louise, who mm-hmm. listeners have heard from a couple times. And she is the lady who moved to, uh, the Dominican Republic in retirement and that was her dream mm-hmm. to go somewhere like that mm-hmm. and she was a decade mm-hmm. in the making because she had other duties here and things she wanted to finish up and yep. responsibilities exactly and she's very happy yes. but she got there in the time that as she said perfect for her perfect for her yeah yeah exactly okay so let's listen to what else dean had to say about letting go of time in retirement so for me you know um the paradigm shift was to let go of this clock, right? I stopped wearing a watch. You know, I stopped keeping track of time. I got rid of all the clocks in the house, except for the one on the stove. And it kind of helped me to like distance myself from the notion of time. Time the way I understood it, the time how it regulated my life day to day. And I, and I think that was one of the most saving moments for me is being able to to not have the anxiety around how am I going to fill my time? So I think that's really interesting, right? You, you develop uh, a new relationship with time. Uh, all right, so let's look at some of the other questions then that were in the white paper. I think sure. we've got three left to go. So do you have or need a bridge from working to full retirement? So like a part-time job. And I think for some that would be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on what they what they did, uh, I didn't want it, and it may have helped me if I would have had something that to to go right into to, that's mm-hmm. a, that slowing down instead of stopping. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know because it is what it is now. But yeah, I, I think for some that would be uh, an important uh, first step. Yeah, and and we're going to explore that one more uh, in season two, possibly in season three, because season two, as we're planning, dear listeners, is already looking kind of full. Yeah. So. Uh, Question number six, do you have a retirement bucket list? And I know, Dave, on previous episodes, we've talked about several things that people have on bucket lists, and we've talked to a few few, uh, people as well and got their thoughts on that. And last but not least, do you have a strong sense of identity beyond your working life? You know, do you really sort of get who you are and what you're looking to do or to be? Well, I know in the field that we were both in and that's education that's a tough one Mm -hmm. because it is a huge part of your identity that you are an educator you're proud of doing it and you put your whole life into it um so that is to leave that can be very difficult and i remember attending um, a retirement for a gentleman quite some time ago and he said something i've always remembered and he said i i'm thrilled to be going i'm ready to be going I just don't know who I'm going to be when that door hits me on the butt 
the last day in June. And I went, wow, that yeah. is exactly. And, and if he's already thinking that, he's going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So for this section, final section of the uh, episode, we want to turn our attention to maybe the lighter side of the emotional landscape of retirement. As promised last week, we are going to talk about finding love over 60. And I did have a wonderful couple lined up that I was going to interview um, who just got married over Thanksgiving weekend. And I'm not going to tell you how old they are because I promised I wouldn't do that. Um, We're just going to leave it that they are somewhere over 55. Uh, at any rate, they uh, unfortunately were not able to uh, be interviewed in a time that was going to work for the for the publishing of this particular episode, but they did promise they could come on in the new year. Um, they're both pretty tied up right now with looking after elderly parents, which, again, is something that we're going to be talking about more in, in the new year, and we've touched on, touched on today. Yeah. So in my research for this part of the uh, episode, though, <clears throat> I found a couple of things. I found a blog that looks at finding love after 60. And I'm not going to share the entire thing with you uh, listeners at this time. I will I will put a link to the blog on our website. Uh, but there are certain things that I don't think that I necessarily want to discuss on the podcast that you are welcome to read about, but we're not going to talk about here That'd today. Be a very, that's a different podcast. Mm-hmm, that is a different podcast than the one that we are currently discussing. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so what are the odds of finding love after 60? So uh, the University of Bath in the United Kingdom did a study and showed that the odds of finding love after 60 are 1 in 562. But that's only if you leave meeting the love of your life to fate. If you're Mm. going to do something about it rather than just leaving it up to fate, your odds improve. So for example... If you are willing to try an online dating site, and yes, they do exist, uh, I had to assure my husband that all of the browser history had nothing to do with the divorce. It was just research for the podcast. Anyway, your odds of meeting someone increase by 17% if you are willing to put yourself out there on an online dating site. Mm. Your odds will increase by 11% if you are actively engaged in a hobby that allows you to meet other people. So like pickleball or lawn bowling or curling or golf, any, any, any activity that's going to allow you to meet other people, yeah. your odds increase by 11%. If you join a local gym, your odds increase by 15%, mm-hmm. according to this study. And if you are out volunteering in the community with different organizations, your odds increase by 11%. So really, if you're doing all of those things, you've got some really good odds. Yeah. 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 And and here was the, I thought the best part. I'm I'm not at this age yet, but nor am I single. But the, the, the odds are the best for the group aged 65 to 74. Their odds, even if they do nothing, are 1 in 304. Wow. So there you go. That's, I would, and I would think maybe they didn't want to say it, but I would, maybe your odds increase too if you're extremely wealthy. But maybe it's just... <laughs> Maybe. Or if you're like the widow hen and you have a nice warm house and it's going to be winter and foghorn leghorn needs right. inside. Um, I read a, a newspaper article from the Globe and Mail. It was dated September 2021. And the title was The Senior's Guide to Finding Love or at the very least Companionship. 
right. that's what some people want. They want one or the other or, or both, of course. Um, and the number of people living alone in Canada has more than doubled over the last 35 years, going from 1.7 million to around 4 million uh, individuals that find themselves uh, alone in their in later years. Uh, the report shows the share of seniors living alone that were separated or divorced more than tripled from 9% to 32% over that same period. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you and I were talking before uh, recording that it, it's sort of logical that the longer we're living and we are living longer, mm-hmm. that things could break down, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they, the, being together with someone longer mm-hmm. uh, doesn't always mean that that'll be uh, forever. No. Um, I like this stat. It also, the study also shows that men were significantly more likely than women to want to partner up. (laughs) Now, there's probably lots of reasons for that, but Mm. one of them would be to to help them do everything. Yeah, Yeah. I have some theories on that. Yeah, me too, though. (laughs) Um, But in one month alone, 385,000 Canadians age 65 and over have visited an online dating site, as you mentioned. Ah, okay. And that's according to David Kravit, who is the chief membership officer for the Canadian Association of Retired Persons. Hmm. So just some, some interesting facts there that now that we are living longer, and as we discussed in the previous episode, as we look at our retirement lifestyle, mm-hmm. we're not looking, we're looking at recreating maybe or doing things we always want to do, whatever it happens to be. We're looking at an adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd want a companion for that if well, you didn't have one of course no exactly exactly and and i think that you know one of the uh, myths that exists out there is that older men are attracted to younger women and i say that's a myth because that's not what studies show the truth is that most 60 year olds want to be in a relationship with someone closer to their age because most aging men according to the study are looking for someone who shares common interests history and humor and for so really you know they're looking for friendship companionship and attention the study did show that i'm not making that one up that that's 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 there in black and white um as for 60 year old women and again this is let's just you know keep in mind this is um this study is a binary study so this is heterosexual men and heterosexual women Mm. so for most 60 year old women uh, the whole concept of romance and love is different than it was in their 20s, their 30s, or even their 40s. So really mature single women are primarily seeking friendship, love, and stability, and not necessarily someone with money. And in addition, a 60-year-old woman wants to be appreciated and accepted for who she truly is. Most aging women are seeking someone with whom they can share their daily lives, share some laughs, some adventures. Um you know, a relationship based on honesty and fidelity with no drama, no addiction, and no abuse. And really, that should be everyone's goal. Well, and what I like in what you've just said in both categories, Mary Ellen, yeah. is that on the one hand, uh, women becoming more empowered. Yeah. And and a, a clear vision of what they want. Mm-hmm. And when you describe the men, there's still that outside chance I could mature. So there you go. It was good all around from where I was sitting. Um, but that's a fun, a fun way to uh, yeah. to kind of wrap things up today. That uh, that, that there is again, I, we've talked about possibilities, mm-hmm. and that's what retirement is. Yeah. Um, Want to know about next week? 
Yeah. Well, I, ha- I have the notes here. That's good. Uh, next week, we will continue. It'll be the fourth of our five-part series about planning a meaningful retirement. And we'll look at how being part of something and being generous with your time can lead to a fulfilling life in retirement. So we hope you'll donate some of your time <laughs> next week and listen to our episode that's entitled Engaged for Good, Leading a Life of Purpose and Belonging. So until then, I'm Dave. And I'm Mary Ellen. And we hope that you have taken away from today that retirement is an emotional decision and it's not just a financial decision. Don't forget to check out the Retirement Years Podcast website, theretirementyearspodcast.com, and come follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you via Twitter. Uh, you'll find us at Retirement Years or by email at theretirementyearspodcast at gmail.com. Stay well. On behalf of your hosts, Mary Ellen French and Dave Wing, thank you for listening to the Retirement Years Podcast. Please follow us on social media and tell a friend.